The Bible passage is Psalm 30, and if you've got the Bible, it's 558. You've got time to get it. Right. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I shall never be shaken. Lord, when you favoured me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silent? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. That my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I praise you forever. Amen. Thanks so much, Kieran, for uh, reading that so well. Really appreciated how you did that. Hi, everyone. My name's John, and uh, I'm one of the ministers here, and going to spend a bit of time just opening up that passage to you. But before I do, uh, you might be wondering about this uh, painting on the left here, which uh, was done in our morning service by Josh Pryor, our media intern. He asked God to give him a picture to paint, and he did that during the service this morning. It's kind of talking about how when we're very broken and feeling um, in need of God's comfort, he, and like in a prison cell, he, he comes to us with his light and his kindness and, and breaks the chains and then invites us to walk to freedom. It's a beautiful picture and I'd love you to take a look at it at the end and just enjoy it and kind of enter uh, it. So it was, uh, I guess... Two, two or three years ago, and uh, I was having a pretty bad time. Um, Wasn't happy. A lot of things were not where I wanted them to be, and uh, I was struggling. And uh, during that time, I was reading the Psalms uh, most mornings as part of my kind of relationship with God. And um, I love the Psalms, and one particular day, I I guess it was a pretty low day, and I got to a particular psalm. I'm not going to say which one it was, because it's quite personal to me. And 
I was reading through it and, and just suddenly my eyes were popping out of my head as I read it. Might have a picture of eyes popping out of head. Don't know. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, it, was, it was like I was reading this stuff and I was thinking, that is just me. That is exactly my story. It's exactly how I'm feeling this morning. I, I, it's just it's astonishing. I can hardly believe I didn't write it. I thought, although I probably wouldn't be good enough at writing it. But it was such a powerful experience. And it's not the first time it's happened to me when reading the Psalms. It's like one of those moments where all of a sudden I knew God understood me totally. And that I could share with him the deepest stuff in my heart without fear. And I knew that because it was right there in the Bible. It was as if those words weren't just speaking to me. They were speaking for me, saying exactly what it felt like to be me right then. Uh, maybe you've had similar experiences, not necessarily when reading the Bible, but it's, it's an incredibly powerful thing, isn't it? When you're listening to somebody else's story and suddenly you realize that their story matches yours almost exactly. I think it's a big part of what makes groups like Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous so powerful because that's what's happening all the time there. People sharing their story and everybody thinking, yeah, that's my story too. And it's like they no longer feel alone. There's actually somebody out there who understands what it's like to be me. And I think that's meant to be a big part of what it's like reading the Psalms, these kind of poems and songs that make up the biggest book of the Bible. Often we don't know exactly the details of the story that stands behind it. And, and in some ways that's a good thing because it releases the Psalms from kind of mere history so that we don't just lock them into the past. And it brings them into our lives, brings them into our experience so that the words that we're reading merge with our words and the stories that stand behind the words merge with our stories. And somehow we know in those moments that God really understands us and is prepared to walk with us through the mess of our lives. Psalm 30, I think, is a fantastic example of exactly that kind of psalm. This morning it was read to us by uh, Laszlo Penzies. I really think we have got a picture of him. There we are. There's Laszlo up on the screen. And it was brilliant hearing him read it because this is a psalm about a man who wants to praise God because he's been healed. And that's exactly Laszlo's story. If you doubt that that's what the psalm is about, just look how it starts. Verse one, I will exalt you. I'll lift you up and say how great you are. See how it finishes. End of verse 12. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever and ever. Begins and ends with, I'm going to praise you, God. And then the reason is crystal clear. Verse two, oh, Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. Praising God for his healing. And that's exactly Laszlo's story. Last year, early on in the pandemic, he had severe COVID and he was expected to die. He was sent by helicopter uh, into a kind of last-ditch saloon job in a London hospital, given only a 40% survival chance and the expectation of long, long months of recovery after that if he ever left hospital. But as many people prayed for him, God brought him through. He survived. He was receiving great care. And within just a few weeks, he was back home with his family. And he's totally well today. It's extraordinary. 
So here's a psalm that tells a story a lot like Laszlo's story, but actually it works at lots of other levels as well. So let's just dive in for a moment and walk through it. So it begins with the summary of the story, God, you healed me, verses one to three. And David, who wrote it, he didn't just have a bit of a headache. He was like properly ill. He says, verse one, it was like drowning. Verse three, he really thought he was going to die. This was serious. And added to that, he was afraid that all his enemies were going to gloat over his demise. (laughs) There's David. He thinks he's so strong and he's just dead. He can't even stand up to a bit of illness. Thinks he's going to be mocked. Now, whether it is physical illness or, or just other ways in which you sense your whole world is falling apart and everybody is there waiting to put you down and say, you told you so. Many of us have been in this kind of place and it's a horrible place to be. Probably some of us feel like we're there right now. But David's story is, that's where I was, but God, I called to you for help and you healed me. It's no wonder then that he wants to thank God and he wants everybody else to join in as well. So verses four and five become this whole call to praise for restoring him uh, to, to favor and to joy. Verse four, sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. Look, God's healed me, he says. So come on, let's praise him for all that he's done. But then you read on into verse 5, and I think it's like a bit of a shadow comes over the psalm. Because it's gone from this like really happy, amazing God healed me, to verse 5, God's anger. Where did that come from? His anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. That shifts things a bit, doesn't it? See, David had this sense that it wasn't just that he was ill. It wasn't just that he was having a tough time. Looking back, he has a sense that in some way, God's anger and discipline stood behind his troubles. Now that's, that's awkward for us, isn't it? We kind of react against that. Does God really get angry and bring weeping? Is that, is that how we're meant to think every time life goes pear-shaped for us? God is angry with us and causing us to weep. Is that how life goes? Well, we ask those questions, but do you know that isn't actually the issue for the writer of this psalm. For David, yes, God does sometimes discipline us. We'll come back to that issue in a minute. But sometimes God does actually bring us to a place of weeping, but his favor and his kindness far outweigh his anger. And those weeping nights of repentance and brokenness give way to the joy of mornings of light and praise. And that's why he wants to praise God. But before we kind of move on, still, was God really angry? If he was, why? I want to say it's really important actually that we don't think that every time something goes wrong in our lives, It signals that God is angry with us for some specific wrong. Jesus answers that in John 10. He says, no, it doesn't work like that. Certainly not always. We shouldn't just assume if we're struggling, it's that God's punishing us in some way. But that doesn't mean that God never lets us experience hard things as discipline in order to change us. Sometimes he does. Sometimes we're messing up big time and sometimes either we can't see it or we just won't see it. And it's as if God has to take us to a place of brokenness 
before we're prepared to see it and change. God is willing to pull us up short. And sometimes it really hurts. And so we plunge into a bit more of the detail of the story in verses 6 to 12. And actually, that story does begin with discipline in verses 6 and 7. David looks back and he says, look, there was this time in my life where I looked around and frankly, everything was going just swimmingly. It was really, really good. Everyone thought I was wonderful and frankly, so did I. And I began to feel quite impressed with myself. Verse 6, I felt secure and I said, I shall never be shaken. Nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. Sorted. Life's going well. But then things started to go wrong. And once they did start to go wrong, David began to see the whole of life differently. Verse 7, Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. That's Jerusalem, where David was the king. And God was favoring him, and everything was great in the kingdom, standing firm because God was looking after him. But, end of verse 7, when you hid your face, I was dismayed, troubled, sad. In other words, he's saying, look, I look back on that time in my life when I thought I was doing so well, and now I can see I was being stuck up and proud and arrogant. I was relying on myself and how brilliant I thought I was. And then God took it all away, and I realized it wasn't me that made everything so good. It was God who did it for me, and what he gives, he can take away. So I should have been thanking him all along rather than kind of being so arrogant and full of myself. Do you know, I have a sense that that's a really important thing for us just to mark and, and learn. Uh, perhaps individually, perhaps as a church family. You see, sometimes, sometimes we do think we're quite smart and sorted, and that, you know, everybody else should think that as well. We might think that way individually, but... We can actually think that way as a church as well. You know, we kind of say, yeah, above bar. I mean, you know, our great history of amazing Bible teaching in the past, that is. Or, or our great building in the city centre. Or our amazing musicians. And we do praise God for our great musicians. Or our great projects in the city. Or all the kids in our groups and how we have students. Aren't we smart? Don't we have the right to be rather impressed with ourselves? And shouldn't everybody else be as well? Churches can think that way. Sometimes I think we do. And actually, even whole civilizations can think that way. We have the technology. We have the resources. We have the military power. We have the creativity. We're secure. We're sorted. We won't be shaken. But it's a load of rubbish. And we need to get to our knees and repent of that kind of attitude. The other day, I was talking to a guy who's not a Christian uh, about the pandemic. Lovely guy with a kind of spiritual heart and openness, but hasn't yet found Jesus. And he said to me, John, I think a lot of people are going to be heading your way, aren't they, in the church? Because it feels to me like everything we relied on has been like shaken, taken away. And, and now everybody's looking for answers. And they're going to be coming to you and your church to find out. And, you know, in many ways, I think that's right. I think that is where we are as a society. You know, I thank God for the science and for the vaccines and the health workers. But the reality is a virus that we can't see with the naked eye closed down our whole way of life pretty much overnight. 
And we still haven't really got it under control, have we? We don't really know what the coming months are going to look like. And it isn't just the pandemic, climate change, severe weather events, global terrorism, a society and shame on us, a church riddled with abuse. The folly of our pride, our self-sufficiency, sometimes even in the church, has been exposed during this difficult time. And right at the moment, we don't feel so big. You know, for us, even in a bar, it's, it's, it's tough. We haven't got all the best people. Some of the things that we love to do have had to stop. Others are a shadow of what they used to be. Don't feel so smart or so strong right now. Whether it's for people or for churches or for nations, sometimes God has to strip so much away before we will face reality and start to learn. I think lots of us are in that place right now. And I think I have to be in that place too. It's a hard place. It's a sad place. But it is an important place. And one of the things I love is the way that David describes what it's like to be in that place. So honestly, he describes it at the end of verse 7 as being dismayed and then unpacks it in verses 8 to 10. And I love it that he didn't just kind of cry quietly into his coffee and, and kind of not express it. No, he, he lets it all hang out to God. He brought his grief to God, his confusion to God, very raw, very honest. Verse 5, he's crying. Verse 8, he's calling for mercy. And then verse 9, he starts arguing with God. He says, what is gained if I'm silenced, if I go down to the pit? In other words, if I die. Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Now look, we don't get all our theology of life after death from David on a bad day. We just have to read it as it is. It's a raw protest to God. He's saying, what's the point in letting me die? Because if you do, who will there be left on earth to say how great you are? He's arguing with God. And then verse 11, he's wailing. He's mourning like a person in, in deep grief, profound trauma. It's very, very full on. But, you know, it's important that we face it. When we are confused, when we are hurting, when we are sad, when we are angry, when we've messed up and we've got a lot of stuff wrong, God wants us to talk to him about it and tell him just as it is. We don't have to make it smart and sanitized and religious language. Just tell him the truth about how things are for you. It's okay to pray when you're sad. It's okay to worship when you're confused. It's okay to talk to God when you're angry with him. It's okay to pray when actually what you want to do is protest and say life isn't fair. It's what the biblical scholars call laments. We see it here and in lots of other Psalms. And, you know, we need to learn what it's like to do that and to do it with some of that raw honesty, even desperation that David shows here. Because it was doing that that shook David out of his proud denial and propelled him forward on this journey of repentance and change so that he starts facing his pride, starts realizing that he can't be his own security. He needs God and starts asking God not to reward him for how smart he is, but to give him undeserved mercy for how broken and so God took him on a journey from dismay 
to dancing. Verses 11 and 12, you turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. You know, friends, if we need to learn to lament like David did, and I do think we do, don't we also need to learn to praise like David did? Did you hear those words here? Dancing, joy, singing, refusing to be silent. This is not a little bit of polite British praise. This is like full on celebration and exuberance at the God who healed him and gave him a new start. Do you know, I, the last few weeks as we've been able to sing together, I've said to you a few times, I have loved hearing the passion of your singing as we worshipped God. It's really blessed me and lifted me. But can I just ask you, don't you want more? Do you? Don't you want more? I mean, Volume is great, yes, but I want joy. I want dancing. I want celebration. I've got legs like lead, so don't watch me. But, you know, why not learn to praise God like David did, as well as to lament like David did? And then David's journey finishes with that commitment to praise. End of verse 12. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. And his journey's come to its ends. I don't think we're quite at that place of resolution yet, are we, with this whole pandemic thing? Whether as a church or as a society, it's been a rough old time, so much to lament, you know, closed schools, traumatized people in health and police and education, student years blighted, people isolated, cancelled holidays, the dreaded ping, depression, anxiety, culture war division. It's been a, it's been a hard time. And in church, well, there have been some really great things. The big difference has been amazing during this time. And, and, and the cat work, it's so exciting. Friday night, we had over 40 people here for a catfish and chips night. And somebody said to me, this one is just amazing, their openness to Jesus. And the East congregation has been kind of held together through, through all the pain and, and division and, and separation of COVID. Amazing. There are some new things beginning to develop with older people in the church as well, helped on by Love Southampton and some really interesting uh, kind of developments. There's some, some good things beginning to happen in the church. But let's not just dress it up. There's also a sense of a community at times almost shut down. As some ministries reduced to a shadow of the past, our services still strip back from what they were. And then, yes, the people that we've argued with, the people we've disagreed with, the people we've disappointed, the people that we've been disappointed by, the people we've lost. It's been hard. And some of it still is pretty hard. But we are on a journey. God has shaken us for sure. God has humbled us and exposed our self-reliance and our pride. God has pruned us, cut away. But he is inviting us on a journey. A journey to deal with the past through honest lament of what is lost and through humble repentance as we recognize the mess ups we've made. And a journey to embrace the future as we come back together to worship him and to love each other and to serve and reach our city. It's a journey to renewal that he wants to take us on, I believe. We're going to be exploring that as we go through Ezra and Nehemiah in the coming weeks. And I just want to ask you as I finish, will you come 
on that journey. It's a journey we can only make if we make it together. None of us can make it in splendid isolation. But will you come on the journey, the journey to renewal? Not, part, not bypassing the painful bits, not pretending we got everything right, but facing them and bringing them to God so he can change us. But having changed us, will you step forward with him? Connecting with him, connecting again with each other in new ways, ready for him to use you for his mission in the city. There's a journey and he wants us on it together.